point of view. Have you ever thought about that? It's the way that we look at things. It's so funny. We can have the same. We can all look at the same thing, but see different things. You know, life to many of us is like a form of art. You know, we all have our interpretation of it. And I was reminded of that when I heard the story about these uh, two older women that were in a uh, in kind of a, a nursing home retirement center, and things were getting pretty boring around the home. And uh, they were trying to think of some way to kick in some excitement and to do something to stir up a little bit of activity. And so the one there sitting there, she said, well, you know what? I got an idea. Why don't we go? Why don't we just streak right down the middle of this place? And gal said, streak? What do, you, what do you mean streak? You know, take off all your clothes. We'll just take off all our clothes and we'll just run right down the middle of the hallway and we'll run past these guys. And that'll get these old guys stirred up a little bit. Maybe we'll get some activity going on around here. You know, these people are walking around here like they're dead. She goes, well, I don't know. If, you know I don't, well, OK, we'll go ahead and do it. So anyway, they take off their clothes, and they go running down the hallway, and they go flying past these two old guys that are playing chess, and they kind of like saw a blur out of the corner of their eye, and the one guy said to the other, said, did you see that? Did you see that? And he said, yeah, I saw it. He goes, well, what do you think that was? He goes, I don't know, but whatever it was, sure needed ironing. (laughs) It's kind of... Now, it really goes over big with a young audience. I mean, there's a, you know, some of you are a little uncomfortable here. I know how that goes. It's like, yeah, what's so funny about that? But that's kind of like the way it is, you know. Life's kind of a matter of perspective, a viewpoint, so to speak. You know, what's your perspective or what's your viewpoint on life? And it's interesting that um, Tom won't shut up for a second, but that's okay. <laughs> But it's just way he, he owes that to me. He's been good for the last six months. We kind of had a covenant, and, um, and, and the time expired, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, but one of the things, it's kind of like, you know, you, you look at, you know, how do you look at life? I mean, are you kind of the Murphy's Law kind of person? You know, or, you, or how do you look at that, that, per, that, that uh, glass of water? Is it half empty or is it half full? You know, it's how do you view things. And one of the problems that I see with our viewpoint or our perspective of things is it's, uh, you know, the Bible has and teaches about a certain viewpoint. And uh, gratefully, it's not just the perspective of this possibility thinking stuff that's going around, but it's a whole different perspective. And it's God's point of view. See, the Bible teaches that there are two perspectives or two viewpoints. One is our viewpoint and the other is God's viewpoint. How do you interpret the events of life? How do you see the events of life? We saw in the third chapter that there are events of life that take place. And how we view those events determines whether we look at life from our vantage point or from God's vantage point. Have you adopted as a way of thinking God's viewpoint on life? Do you have God's perspective on the activities and the events that occur in your life? Or do you look at things from your vantage point? See, what Solomon's been trying to teach us all throughout this study is that life under the sun or horizontal, looking at life on the horizontal dimension, brings nothing but futility and frustration and depression. And and he, and he sums it all up by saying, you know what? When you look at life on the horizontal, when you view life from your vantage point, from your perspective, life sure is futile, isn't it? It's like, what is life all about? What's the purpose of all of it? And so what he's been trying to do is help us adopt God's vantage point. He said, life under the sun, life on the horizontal plane is frustrating at best. And certainly doesn't offer us any direction. So he's been trying to, throughout this study, 
argue the point that we need to begin to adopt God's perspective, God's viewpoint for the events that take place in our life. We need to, as God sees our lives, we need to get above our own existence and look down, so to speak, as God sees the things that are, that the events that are unfolding before us and say, this is the purpose of that event. See, many of us struggle with that, and that's one of the biggest hang-ups that we have in our lives, are the, is that we're looking at life and every event that's in there on this dimension. You're looking at it horizontally. You're trying to understand life from your point of view. Somehow you believe that life is one big art form, that every one of us are equal to our own interpretation of the event that just took place. The Bible can't do anything but show you that that's false thinking at best. It's false doctrine, it's false theology, it's a heresy. The possibility thinking that we're being bombarded with and all the how-to books and whatever is heresy, Gnosticism, from, from its root and from its foundation. Everything revolves around us. We have become the center of our existence. And the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. We are not the center of our existence. God is the center of our existence. And everything that takes place in our lives revolves around His purpose, His plan, His direction, and needs to be looked at from His perspective. We need to get beyond this horizontal stuff and start to look at what God sees from a vertical. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me, please, because this section deals with wisdom. And wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Godly wisdom is seeing life and the events of your life from God's perspective. No longer interpreting what's happening from our point of view, but looking at what's going on right now in your life. There's something going on in your life. It's consuming you with your thoughts. Even as you're here, you struggle with it. It's there. It needs to be dealt with. And when you leave here, you need to de deal with this issue that's going on in your life. You know it and I know it. And so now it's a matter of, hey, what's the perspective that you have? Are you looking at it from God's point of view? Or are you trying to understand it from your point of view? And I guarantee you, your point of view is going to lead you nowhere but frustration. So, so Solomon in this section in chapter 7 begins to show us the advantages of thinking God's way. There are wise words in this particular section for busy people. Our problem is we are so busy. We're so busy in life that we never stop to consider. And the Bible over and over again says, consider. Stop to think for the purpose of evaluation. Consider where you're heading what you're doing, and why you're doing it. Take heed, the Bible says. Consider. Listen. Be slow to speak. Quick to listen. God is always trying to get our attention so that we can stop to look at where we're at and where He wants us to go. We need to slow down, listen to God's Word, and evaluate it for the purpose of coming to a conclusion. Here's what Solomon has to say about the value of wisdom. He says, A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of a thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, 
patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Let's just ask God to bless our time. Our Father, we're just grateful for these words of wisdom and that we can just see the value of adopting your perspective on life in our own lives. God, help us to consider, to take heed, to listen to what you have to say for the purpose of evaluating the the truth of your word, to come to a conclusion on the events of our life and to adopt that philosophy in our own hearts. God, we just thank you for that and ask that you clearly teach us what it is that each one of us need to learn for the purpose of making that application, for the purpose of changing our lives. And we just thank you for the results in Christ's name. Amen. Seeing things from God's perspective. See, see, seeing things from God's perspective is something that all of us need to do. Look back at chapter 6 for a minute and look at verse 12 because he uses this particular question to springboard into his next section, which is dealing with the value of wisdom. He says, for who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life. See, he's asking a rhetorical question, but he knows the answer to it. And the question that I throw out to you is, hey, who really knows what's good for your life? Who really knows what's good for your life? Who really knows the decision that you're wrestling with, that the, the decision that you make is really going to be good for your life? Who really knows that? And the way that we test it is I ask the question, how many of you have ever made a decision that you were sure, you were positive that it was the best thing for your life, only to see it turn into disaster somewhere along the line? Have you ever been to that position? You were positive. There wasn't any doubt about it. This is the right decision. And you watched everything unfold before you and it all crumbled and it fell apart like a cheap tire on the freeway after a blowout, man. It just shriveled all over the place. And then you, you ask yourself, you know what, do I really know what's good for me? And then you've been through situations in your life that you were absolutely positive, the same way you were positive about the other. You were absolutely positively sure that the disaster that just took place in your life could bring no benefits at all. Only to see as time went along, it brought tremendous opportunities and tremendous blessings to your life. See, so we have this perspective, right? If we think something's good, then it's good. If we think something's bad, there's no good that comes out of it. God says, wait a minute, let me just show you a whole different perspective, and that is the things that you think are bad may be the best things that ever happen to you, but it's only going to take time for it to unfold to see the final result. So he asked this question that all of us know the answer to already, and the bottom line is, you know what? Who knows, really, what's best for us? I don't. Because I've already proven it with my track record. The things I thought were going to be good turned out bad. The things that I thought were disastrous turned out good. So it's obvious I don't know much about what is best for me. But maybe you're different. See, all of us are in the same boat. So Solomon says, hey, I know who knows what's best for you. I've discovered that perspective. 
I'm not looking horizontally anymore because when I looked at a horizontal plane, I messed up all the time. But when I saw things as God saw things, I began to realize God knows better than I do what's best for me in my life. And it's either a matter of whether I believe Him and trust Him, or if it's a matter of how many of those things am I going to turn over, and how many will I keep for myself, because some of these things I think I can handle myself, and I think that what I do is going to be good, and other things I'm not sure of. So I'll give Him the biggies, and I'll keep the little things, and that's the way we'll work it. But even the little things God cares about, and so He's trying to convince us that, you know what, who knows better than God what's best for us? And so he goes down through it, and he begins to show us the value of wisdom, which is, like I said, seeing things from God's perspective. And we'll go through it, and he lays out four benefits in this particular section. And the first benefit is found in verse 1. Look at that with me for a minute. He says, A good name is better than a good ointment. A good name is better than a good ointment. Good name, better than. As we go through this section, you're going to see that there are seven comparative proverbs that are listed before us, and they're all listed and broken out when we find the phrase, better than. What God is saying is, a lot of things in life are good, and many times we simply accept that good is, is good enough. You know what I'm saying? Good is okay, good is not bad, good is good enough. And what he's trying to help us see is that, you know what, well, our perspective may be good and there may be nothing wrong with it as far as Scripture is concerned. God is saying, hey, where you're content with good, I want to provide better. Good is good, but better is better. I mean, that's the way it works. Isn't that pretty, that's pretty deep, isn't it? I mean, there's some deep theological treatise to throw out to you. Good is good and better is better. Why? Because less is less and more is more. Okay. But that's the way it works. A good name is better than a good ointment. What is God saying? What does God care about? Let me just ask you, what does He care about? Does He care about the external? What does God deal with? What is, what is God's perspective on the external? Does He care about the external? What does He care about? The heart. How do you know that? Where do you see that? Give me a, give me a passage. Fav, favorite passage. Where does God lay out that He's more concerned with the heart, with, with the heart than outward appearances? Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, you know what he says? God is not like man. He doesn't consider the outward appearance as man does, but he looks at the heart. See, God is concerned with the heart. We're concerned with the facade. We're concerned with the, the, the frame that God has made a point to tell us so many times that it's just dust anyway and it's going to return to dust. We're so hung up with the external. And God's saying, you, see, you got, here's, here's your perspective again. People, your perspective is, you see the outside, you see the external, and you get all hung up and excited about it. I see the heart. You don't even care about the heart. You don't care about the inner person. You don't care about character. You don't care about integrity. You don't care about honesty. You don't care about values. You don't care about ethics. See, what you care about is the outside. You want to make sure that you spend a lot of time making your frame look good that's going to turn to dust, and you're not working at all on your, your inner person, on that character that God says he's concerned so much about. So what he's saying is a good name is better than a good ointment. Or a good perfume. You know how we put that on there, you know, just to make ourselves smell good on the outside? It reminds me of, a, have you ever taken a college bath? You know what that is, don't you? You're running light, you've got a million things to do, you're all sweaty and dirty, and so you just slap cologne over top of all of it. Oh, okay, maybe you didn't re recognize that that's where that all got started. You thought you came up with it on your own. But um, have you ever done that? I mean, I don't know about you, but what I find about my deodorant, it doesn't last but a day. I mean... How many of you use deodorant every day? Oh, this is a scary thought for a moment. Not every hand, not every hand went up here. I don't know what that means. 
And in fact, the person sitting next to you knows exactly what it means. But it's like, it, it, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. You've got to use it every day. Why? Because it doesn't last. So God's saying, we get so hung up on the things that are external that don't last. They dissipate with time and a little bit of energy and sweat and it's worked off and you've got to do it all over again. He's saying, but we're so hung up on that that we don't care about our inner person or our character. Ladies, I mean, the favorite passages, turn with me for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll take a look at some things that God says are more important than the external. And, and it's good for all of us, but I want you to take a look at it and see if you can identify what some of these things are. Then the problem is, you've got to look at it and say, how am I developing these traits in my own life? How do I develop this in my life? Solomon says that a good name, a good reputation, influence, character, those things that change lives are far better than simply slapping on some things to look good externally. Jesus dealt with it all the time when he talked to the Pharisees and he said, you know, all you are whitewashed. I mean, you got, the, you got all the facade, man. You look good on the outside, but in your hearts, you're dirty, filthy, rotten, and far from God. I know your heart, and it's wicked, and it's not clean at all. And while you can, you can blow smoke or put the facade on for everybody else, and we're so good at that, you know how that is? We can all paint the picture in our own lives of what we want people to perceive us. Again, viewpoint. We want people's perspective to be, and God just cuts through all of it, and He looks right at the heart. He, doesn't, he, he can discern what we miss often because we're not as in tune to character as we are into complexion. And so you go through this and you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and listen what he has to say. It says, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they be, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You see the contrast? What is he trying to say? Is he saying there's anything wrong with taking care of the barn, you know, painting it up, fixing it up every now and then, slapping on some deodorant, using some cologne? Um, or the little cottage, depending on your size, I guess. I mean, the barn or the cottage. It's a matter of perspective, I guess. But, um, but does he say, is there anything wrong with any of that? Not at all. I mean, it's like he's not saying stop wearing deodorant and don't worry about fixing your hair and don't, you know, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. God does care. But he's saying that's not what's better. You know what's better? Throw out some things that are better. What's better than looking good? A pure heart. Look at verse 2. A pure heart. Pure, chaste, pure before God, pure in the sight of your husband. Uh, not doing anything that would be impure from a thought process, from an action process. Not, not doing those things that are not pure before God. Look what else he says. What else is better? Respect. Showing respect. That's a character trait. To be able to respect authority, to be able to respect the position that a husband has in the home. And it's just not confined to women. It goes to us as men. It's to be able to respect authority that God has ordained according to Romans 13. See, God is saying that, hey, you can look good and you can do all those things. But you know what's better? Better than looking good is being pure before God and before one another. It's being respectful to those who are in authority. It's minding the position that God has given them. And, and, and he continues and he goes on. It's the hidden person of the heart with, with the imperishable quality. This quality is going to last. It doesn't wash off in the shower. 
It doesn't need to be applied every day. It's an imperishable quality that has lasting value. The imperishable quality of gentle and a quiet spirit. And all of that is precious before God. So we go through all of this and we've got to ask the question. And the thing that, that, that I think in my own life is, what if, just for example, what if I would have some of you follow me throughout the week? I don't know it. I don't know it. But you're following me. You're listening to my phone conversations. You're listening to my dealings in business. You listen to how I treat my wife and my kids. You listen to everything that goes on in my life. See, because as far as you all know, I'm just a facade. You don't know. Not, not many of you know who I am. You see me stand here and you see me do what I do, and I'm a facade. As far as you know, I don't even exist from Monday through Saturday. Unless, of course, you call me in, in a lame way, try to encourage me. But, uh, but you don't even know that. See, and, and so what I'm thinking is, what if some of you followed me around? Is what you see today what you would get every other day of the week? Now, since I've brought myself into it, I'm going to ask the question of you. What would I find in your life if I were to follow you? What would I hear? What would I see? How would I see you spend your money? How would I see you deal with customers and employees and, and uh, uh, fellow co-workers? How would I see you treat your spouse and your children? What would I see? It would be fascinating, wouldn't it? And it would also be quite embarrassing, too, at times, wouldn't it? See, but so, what's so bizarre to me is that we are so concerned about what we would see as if somehow God doesn't see that. As if somehow God doesn't have that perspective. As if somehow God doesn't know what's going on in your life when the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts, which we would not even be able to see if we observe one another. We would just hear our expressions and our actions we would see. But we wouldn't really know what we were thinking. And God knows your thoughts. He sees your heart. He's more concerned. You know, you want to talk about heart transplants. I mean, that's God's business. He's the greatest physician that ever lived. God's been in the business of doing heart transplants longer than Christian Bernard ever started it 20 or 30 years ago. God is, is the physician who deals in heart transplants on a regular basis. See, and so what he wants for you and I is he wants us to have a heart transplant. He wants us to begin to adopt his ways, his viewpoint, his perspective in our life on a, on a daily basis. Is that what you do? Or are you trying to just put on a facade for one another? See, we live in a day like Gary, uh, Gary Trudeau said in his Doonesbury uh, comedy, uh, or in his comic, he said, we live in a day where men would rather be envied than esteemed. We would rather be envied for what we have materially than esteemed for the character of person that we are before God and before the world in which we live. We're so hung up on the external. I want you to be jealous of all my toys and possessions. I don't really care what you think about my character. I don't care if you think I'm honest. I don't care if you think I have integrity. I don't care if you don't like what you see. Because all I'm worried about is that you envy and covet that which I possess. God says, how foolish we all are. And there are many of us who are adopting that mentality in our life. We sell out. And I guess the question I have for you is, what's your price? What is your price for your integrity, for your character, before God and before the world in which you live? I hope we don't have one, but I'm afraid many of us do. 
See, and what, what Solomon tries to help us see is he helps us to recognize what's really important in life. What's really important in life is that which God sees. Those imperishable qualities that this world has long since forgotten all about. And it's not to be envied, but it's to be esteemed for who we are. Going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, take a look at the second thing he's talking about in this particular section. He says this, that it also helps us, godly wisdom helps us to realize the value of things like sorrow and death. Now, if this isn't a godly perspective, nothing is. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 1, he says, And the day of one's death is better than, again, better than, there's nothing wrong with the birthday, but you know what's better than our birthdays? Our death days. He says, The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the minds of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, this is going to take godly perspective to understand it. You know what God's saying? The day we die is better than the day we're born. How many of you have adopted that philosophy? Huh? I mean, isn't it true? Our society does everything it can to do exactly the opposite. We want to remove mourning and suffering from our world. We want everything to be happy and pleasurable and, and joy and feasting and laughter and fun. Isn't that all we're here for? We're just here for fun. And God says, you know what? Oh, no, no, no. I've got a whole better philosophy or perspective on life. And you know what I see is better? The day you die is better than the day you're born. Well, how can that be? How can that be? You know how it is? You know what Paul said in Philippians 1? He said, I'm hard-pressed. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know what the dilemma that I have is? I'd rather go on to be with the Lord. I'd rather be with my Savior. I'd rather be with Jesus in heaven than here on earth. And I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place because I know it's going to be far better for me to be dead and to be with Him than it is for me to be alive and go through the sufferings of this present age. It's going to be a lot better off. So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'd rather leave, but for your sake, I want to stay so that I can minister and help you to see the same perspective that God has for each one of us. Have you adopted that perspective in your life? Do you realize the day that you die and that you'll be with the Lord forever in heaven is far greater and better than the day that you were born? Now, you realize why the world doesn't want to deal with that, don't you? Because it's got to stop and consider some very difficult questions. And so what the world would rather do is blow that whole thought process off. We don't want to mourn. We don't want to suffer. We don't want any sorrow because we just want to party and have a good time because if we stop partying and have a good time, then we've got to deal with some real issues in life. And the real issues in life are that every one of us are going to die. And what happens to us when we die? And I don't want to deal with it, so hand me another bud. That's the way it is. But see, God says, you know what's better than the day of one's birth? The day of one's death. And he also goes on to say it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Now, how many of you, seriously, get excited about going to a funeral? All right, another funeral. This is great. I'm going to learn so much from this. Party? Ah, I'm sick of them. Ah, oh, man, they're not, you know, I'm just tired of them. I'd rather go to some funerals, man. I hope some people I know start dying. I was you going, people know me, you're going, <laughs> but see, it's obvious by that expression, you don't have the perspective that I'm trying to encourage you to adopt. 
It's better to go to the house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. Now, here, here's what I learned from this. We're on vacation, three-day little cruise, three-day cruise to the Bahamas. Wonderful time. It was great. The fact is, I close my eyes, I'm laying in that hammock on the beach again. And I'm doing this, not because the hammock's moving, but because that's what happens to you when you're on a boat for three days. You start waiting at elevators like this, and you know people think that maybe you got headset on and you're rocking out, but no, that's not what it is. But anyway, and I, and I thought, you know what? But then we came back and we went to this conference, and we went to that maximum security prison. And you know what's amazing? In one hour that we were there, and we got to talk to people and to see what was going on. And we talked to Lynn and I talked to a guy whose name was Jimmy Lee Hines. And looking in his eye and seeing the fear in his eye about what it was going to be like to be let go from prison. And the fear that he had of how could he be sure that he wouldn't make the same mistake again and get sent back. He was afraid. You know what? I'll just tell you something. I learned more in an hour talking to him than I did three days laying in a hammock on a beach. Not that that's bad. That was good. There's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong with recreation. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God's blessed you with. That's all good. God's not saying it's not good. But you know what he's saying? There's something better. You know what's better? Talking to Jimmy Lane Hines for an hour and finding out what life's really all about. That was better. And I read this and you go, you know what? This makes a lot of sense. God's perspective is always right. But somehow, I, I struggle with adopting it in my own life. Because I'm bombarded with people around me who are telling me it's better to go party. It's better to lay in that hammock. And why in the world would you want to go into prison? How stupid is that? He says, you know why it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting? Because that's the end of every man. That is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. You can't walk away from a funeral without struggling with what in the world is life all about? Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? Because someday there's going to be a whole room full of people looking in a box at me. And I'm not going to be around to see any of it. And I want to know what's going on. See, godly wisdom helps us to see life from God's perspective. It takes an event like death and says, hey, I'm trying to teach you something. You better pay attention. You better consider. You better slow down, you busy people who don't know where you're going, and take a good, hard look at reality. I'm trying to get your attention. And then we have people say, oh, God's not gracious. God's not kind. God's not compassionate. God's doing everything that he can to get through our thick heads what he's trying to show us, and that is life is brief at best, and we better have our act together when it comes to our relationship with him. We better know who he is. We better know why we're here, and we better get to know him in a personal way and find out what God has to say about his program. That's what he says. And it's better than going to a party and getting blitzed. So he goes through it and he struggles with it. And so, and he goes on, he says, sorrow is better than laughter. And we do everything that we can to try to eliminate sorrow from our life. Sorrow is better than laughter. When a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. Well, the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. You know what's amazing to me? On this cruise, they, were, they had a, a, a comic. And it was good because it was a family cruise, so we can even take the kids. And it was wonderful to go and listen to somebody tell jokes and, and, and not get disgusted about what they were talking about. It was great. And for 40 minutes, these two guys were hilarious. It was fun. But you know what I found out? Like after five minutes, and then after eight minutes, and after ten minutes, it was getting harder and harder to make me laugh. It wasn't as funny anymore. 
So that's why I just use one good joke. And, and, and good is, I guess, a relative term, so <laughs> I don't even know if they're good. But I just like one. That's all you can handle. Because I try to run in succession, it, like, it becomes, well, which one was the funniest? And before long, you know what happens? You can't use any of them because none of them are really that good. And so you just want to make a point, and you use that to illustrate something you're trying to do. Well, the problem with the comedian is he's got to go on for 30, 40, 50 minutes and try to make you laugh the whole time. And it just dissipates. It's not that funny anymore. And God says, that's exactly what laughter is all about. It just burns up. It's gone. It's not funny anymore. It, it doesn't last. It's, it's not fulfilling. But he said, you know what? You'll learn more from sorrow than you will from laughter. You'll walk away from a funeral, and for years and years and years, God will use that in your life to try to get your attention. You walk away from somebody who's funny, and you hear a couple lines, and you can't even remember an hour from now. Yeah, some of you are going to try to repeat this joke about the old ladies, and you're going to butcher it up, and you're going to offend every older woman in the world trying to do it. I know that. I've heard it. I've heard her try to repeat, and it gets crazy after a while. And you, can, you won't even remember it. But I'll tell you what, you can't walk away from a funeral and have that just fade as a memory. It's there for life. Some of you sit here now and have been at a funeral 30 and 40, maybe even 50 years ago. And you remember it like yesterday. God's trying to get our attention. He does it on a regular basis. In fact, the things that we think are valuable, God says, are not. There's a great story as an illustration of this truth. There was a woman who was on the Titanic, and she wanted to run back to her cabin as the boat began to list to its side, and they were loading everybody up on the boat, and uh, she wanted to run back to her cabin to get something. So the question I have is, what would be valuable to you you know, it's the old thing, if your house is on fire, what would you run in to get? You know, what would be valuable to you in a situation like that is you wanted to run back to your room? What would you get? So she ran back to the room, and as the, as, as the boat was listing, if you remember the first uh, the maiden voyage of the Titanic, the people that were invited were all very wealthy people. It was an exclusive cast of characters that went on this trip. And they all had diamonds, they had pearls, they had jewels, they had money. They had, and she ran through the casino, and all the money in the casino had listed to the side and was in big piles in the corner of the room. She ran past all of that, and she ran to her room where she had all the things that you can imagine she'd have. She had her jewelry. She had her pictures. She had all these things of great value. What would you grab? You know what she grabbed? She grabbed three oranges. Three oranges. Fruit. Three oranges. And she took those back to the boat with her. You know what's great about that? Our value system is really upside down, isn't it? Why did she do that? I said, why would you grab three oranges? You know what she said? I didn't know how long we were going to be in the boat, and I wanted to make sure I had some food to sustain me until we got rescued. Is that marvelous? Couldn't eat her diamonds. Couldn't eat her jewelry. Couldn't even buy anything with the money she could have got. It wasn't like she was going to stop at a concession stand somewhere along the line. (laughs) There was no value to it at all. But you know what's so funny? Before that accident... Two hours, three hours, maybe even ten minutes before that. That had all the value in the world. And it had none in a moment's time. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what death is like? In a moment's time, everything we value is absolutely valueless. In a moment's time. Three oranges. Man, what a great illustration of a truth that God's trying to get across to us. What do you value most? Most Because in a moment's time, our world's upside down, and all of a sudden we see what's valuable from God's perspective. 
and we look there and the people that eulogize us, they talk about all the possessions we have and all the real estate and our family hates us and our friend hates us and they think that we're nothing but rotten scoundrel who, was, who had no integrity, who had no honesty, who had, and the only character traits that he had were all blemished and they can't stand it and they're glad you're gone. What legacy do you want to leave? He goes on and says it also helps us uh, respond to others as God would desire. If you go down through, look at 5 through 7. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool, and this too is futility. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise person than for one to listen to the song of fools all throughout the Bible when the word fool is used. Through our Proverbs, you'll see that the truth of this is it's referring to those who are not believers in the Lord God. And so what he's saying by contrast is, you know what? It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise person, a person who will give you godly counsel, a person who, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, can use the word of God in your life to rebuke you for what you're doing to correct you for something that's wrong in your life and to train you in the ways of God. It's better to listen to a person who will confront you in that area than it is to listen to somebody who will merely say that what you want to believe is okay by them and you're right and everybody else is wrong. And it's amazing to me. You know what I see so often? Christians, when they can't find support for themselves and their position in the Word of God, will run to non-Christians as if somehow or another a majority opinion is going to sway what God has to say about it. How foolish are we? We avoid people in our life who are going to confront us with the truth of the Word of God, who are going to tell us God's perspective, God's point of view. We avoid them because we don't want that perspective. We want what we want to do when we want to do it, and we don't care whether God's going to approve it or not. And so I need to find people in my life who will say, yeah, you're right, that's the way to go. You know what he says? It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise person than to hear all the compliments and all the flowerly accolades that could be bestowed upon us by a world of people who don't even believe in our God. Is that, what is wrong with us? Talk about perspective and viewpoint? What's your viewpoint? You've probably done it recently. You've ran to people who will support your side when, when you're confronted with the Word of God and you don't want to deal with it. Why? Because you've got a price. He had a price. There's a price on your head for your character, for your integrity, for your honesty. And so we'll run from Christian accountant to Christian accountant to Christian accountant until we finally go to the point where we better go to a non-Christian accountant as we do our taxes because we don't like anything we've been told by all these Christians who are too legalistic and there's a lot of room in the tax program for what we'd like to do. So we blow off our tax accountant and we go to somebody who says, Hey, Give it a shot. The worst thing that happens is you can get audited. And that may not happen for six, seven years, and the odds are against you, so go ahead and cheat all you want. Price. Well, I have price, don't we? Oh, I know that's so uncomfortable because we're all sitting around doing our taxes. I don't even, but what's that guy's name? Who's that last guy that you went to? Yeah, there we go. Snake. <laughs> Snake. That's who it was. It helps us also to react properly to present difficulties and disappointments. Look at, as you go through verses 8 through 10. The end of a matter, the end of a matter is better, better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resolves in the bo- resolves, anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about such things. 
See, wisdom, godly wisdom, godly viewpoint helps us react properly to present difficulties and dis- disappointments. You talk about an area where we don't see eye to eye with God. It's in this area more than any other area. When you're going through disappointments, when you're going through difficulties, when you're going through a tragedy, what the world would call a tragedy in your life. See, because it's a tragedy from their perspective and certainly not from God's. Even the word tragedy or disappointment or discouragement in life is a matter of our own viewpoint on that situation. Instead of saying, boy, you know what, this is going on in my life and the Lord's going to use it and He's going to teach me something through it and it's certainly not a tragedy. The tragedy would be if I don't learn what God's trying to teach me through it, then that's a tragedy according to God. So the viewpoint or the vantage point is I need to see what's going on in my life from God's perspective because He's trying to get my attention to teach me something here. And it's not a tragedy at all. But it's classroom. It's teaching time. It's time to learn. You're going through disappointment. You're going through tragedy. You're going through some discouragement. And you're looking at it on the horizontal plane and you can't see anything good that's going to come out of it. But we know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. That's the truth that we know from Scripture, that God's perspective is that He is constantly at work in our life to cause that which He wants good to come out of events that take place in our life. So it's not a tragedy. It becomes a teaching tool of God in our life. And and probably the best way to illustrate it is I heard a guy who who said that, you know what the most common expression in heaven is going to be? The most common expression in heaven. I'm not going to find it in this. This is just kind of a, just kind of a thought, you know, that you sit around thinking sometimes. What are we going to all be talking about? What's the most common expression? You know what's going to be? The most common expression in heaven is going to be, oh. We're all going to be walking around going, oh. Now let me ex- explain how that works. You're going to be going around saying, oh, that's what God was doing when that happened in my life. Oh, that's what he was trying to teach me when that took place in my life. We're all going to be doing the old VA thing. Oh, we're going to be walking around. Oh, that's what he's trying to teach me. Every one of us is going to be going, oh, that's what he's trying to teach me. How can we, I mean, what, what is it going to take to adopt that perspective? You got stuff going on in your life? You got stuff right now going on in your life that you're looking at it on a horizontal plane. You can't see anything good that's coming out of any of it. And you know what God says? You need to come up here and you need to take a look from my vantage point because things sure look a lot different from up here than they do from down there. You're flying an airplane and you're looking out the window and you see the world below you just kind of shrink away to just a little scale of nothing. And you look down there and you think about, gee, you know what? When this plane lands, I'm going to resume my perspective of seeing everything on the horizontal. And everything's going to look a lot bigger to me then than it does right now. All my problems are bigger. All the difficulties are bigger. All my disappointments and discouragements are bigger when I'm down on the ground. But I get up here in the air and I'm above it all and I look down and I realize how insignificant all of it is. It's truly not that important. And I miss what God's trying to teach me because I'm too busy looking at the height of the mountains that He's placed before me because I can't see what's on the other side of it and we get up there above and we look at God's perspective and we look down and we see where we are and we see the mountain before us and we see the valley that he's laid out in front of us after that. And we see all of it and we say, I can't wait to land so I can start climbing that mountain because what's on the other side is so much better than what I'm looking at from this vantage point. 
I need God's perspective in my life. So we land and we've got the choice to deal with. Are we going to look at those obstacles? And, and folks, this is not possibility thinking. This is not overcoming them of your own power and in your own way. What this is, the truth of the Word of God is, it's time that we look at life from God's vantage point and where we can see that, man, there's no value to suffering. God says there's tremendous value to suffering. Second Corinthians 1, he says, you know what? One of the values of suffering is that you can comfort those with the same comfort that you've been comforted by when you were afflicted with the same thing. There's a ministry out there for people who have come through suffering. But all the possibility thinkers don't want you to even feel like you've suffered. That's heresy. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. We need to start looking at the obstacles God places before us from His perspective of what He wants us to do when we get across them and learn as we climb and we go through this what He's teaching us throughout the whole process. That's not possibility thinking. That's believing in God and trusting in Him that He's going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And we've got a choice this morning as, as we conclude this whole thing is, hey, what perspective do you want to maintain? Do you want to keep looking at life on the horizontal and not seeing any value to anything that's going on? And I'll guarantee you, you'll be futile and you'll be frustrated. Do you want to continue to sell out for a price because character isn't what is esteemed in our world anymore? We'd rather be envied for our possessions. Are we going to be men and women of God who have integrity, who have inner character, who have a quality that's imperishable, who are gentle and kind and, and don't sell out by, for the first price that comes along? But that we stand firm on the Word of God and we trust Him for what He sees because His perspective from where He's at is a lot better off than from where I'm at. And it's about time that I adopt that same perspective in my life and start to believe what he has to say in here rather than what people around me are trying to tell me. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for the value of wisdom as you see it. God, help us to adopt your perspective, to get above it all, to get beyond all of, all of the, the hang-ups that we have here and to see that you do love us, that you want what's best for us. And while the world tries to train us just to live life for pleasure and for a good time, you teach us it's better to go through sorrow and suffering and trials. And the day of our death, God, help us to see that the day of our death, for those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing greater for us to come about than the day of our death, where we can see you face to face and we can say what will probably sound like a stupid statement to you, where we can go, oh, that's what you were trying to do. God, help us to believe you while we're here. In Christ's name, amen.